Well, good morning once again. It is so good to be with you today, and uh, I'm really excited to begin a new series today in the book of Acts. Now, before we get into the message and the series, uh, I do want to say this. Some of you may have intended to stay home this morning uh, because of the cold and take in the service online, and you decided to come because you realized online wasn't working. Uh, so please be in prayer. Our switcher went down, and so our online uh, broadcast is not working today, and we're trying to resolve it uh, for next Sunday and ongoing, um, but it is a bit of a problem uh, for online uh, broadcasting, and so please be in prayer for that. Uh, that's just simply a side note to asking for your prayers and encouragement uh, throughout the week, and uh, we look forward greatly to that. But as I mentioned, today we are beginning uh, a new series in the book of Acts. And as we consider the book of Acts, we know it to be called the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, I would argue that it's more appropriately called the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the acts of the ministry of Jesus Christ through his spirit-empowered followers. That's you and me as followers of Jesus Christ, Christians who make up the church. Now, today's message is going to be foundational. It's going to maybe be more teaching than preaching. Uh, every preacher who steps in the pulpit, the goal is to not only tell you what the Bible says, and what it means, but how to apply it to your life. We are going to get around to that, but I think foundationally, if we're going to get set straight in the book of Acts, there's some foundational teaching that I want to provide for you that gives us proper orientation to what the book of Acts is all about, really, and how it will apply to our lives and does apply to our lives now and into the future. So, one thing I do know for certain is this. We all want our life to count for something, don't we? At the end of your life and mine, we want to look back and hope that our life matters, that we have maybe left a lasting imprint or impression, that we've made a difference in the lives of our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, that we have something significant about us that when we leave this world, people will miss. And I want you to know that in and through Jesus Christ, that can be accomplished. See, Jesus established the church. It is his bride. We who are of the faith in Jesus Christ belong to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are his body. We are the visible representation of Jesus Christ in the world today. And we are that until the day he returns, which by the way, I hope is really soon. See, there's nothing more significant than belonging to the church and helping to fulfill the mission of God in this world. That's where our significance will be found. The church has proven itself to remain relevant, 
despite 2,000 years of cultural revolution? How? How has the church remained relevant in all of these years? I'll tell you how. It has the best leader the world has ever known. It was Steve Jobs who once said, innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower. The church has the greatest, most creative, most innovative leader the world has ever known. His name is Jesus Christ. He is our leader. And if you're a Christian, then you are part of the family of God. You are a part of the church. You are the bride of Christ. And it's through people like you and me that God is truly at work transforming the world and inviting others to become part of the family of God just like he invited you and just like he invited me. God can do amazing things through ordinary people. Maybe you feel like you're one of those just very ordinary people in the church. I want you to know, so do I. I feel very ordinary. Yet one of the things we realize is that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. But the only way he can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things is when we're indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit of the living God. And that happens the moment that we're born again. We're spiritually made alive in Christ. We confess our sin and we receive Jesus as Savior. It is then that Jesus not only saves us, but he places his spirit in us as a seal, a guarantee, a deposit, an inheritance, an empowerment, and an equipment to do all that God has in store for us to do. See, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was given to all believers. And, and what we'll find out a little bit later on in chapter 2, that it was then when, when God gave the Holy Spirit to those who belong to him, that the church was born. See, the church is God's chosen instrument in this world for sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. The book of Acts, it is all about the unhindered movement of God throughout the world as the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed through the church empowered by the Holy Spirit. The early church was an unstoppable movement that proclaimed the kingdom of God and salvation through Christ and Christ alone. And that unstoppable movement continues today through us, the church. See, God's redeeming work by fulfilling his mission is only now accomplished through the church. That's you and that's me. I want you to open your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, I want to read verses 1 through 11 as context, as framework 
We're only going to get through probably verse 5 today, but I want to at least give us some orientation to the beginning of the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11, I invite you to follow along as I read. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set these dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This is how the book of Acts begins. One of the things we find in Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of the promise, the giving of the Holy Spirit to those who were waiting as Jesus promised. It's then that we identify at Pentecost the birth of the church, the empowerment of the church to go now into the world and to continue the ministry and the message and the work of Jesus Christ. I want to give you a definition that we're going to work with throughout this next year as we unpack the book of Acts. Now, because of our switcher being down, you're not going to have a lot of information on the screen. So you can either write fast or just wait. It won't be the first time I give you this definition. Let me define for you the church. The church is the people of God indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God who are gifted and equipped to live as the family of God that are called to fulfill the mission of God by proclaiming the good news about Jesus in the world through our words and our actions while being committed to live in obedience to the word of God. That's who the church is. If you are a Christian, 
that's what you're a part of. If you want to find significance in this life, and you're a Christian, then all you have to do is live into who God has called you, equipped you, and empowered you to be. The book of Acts is an interesting book. There's a lot of information in there. A lot of people think that it's descriptive or historical in nature only. It is descriptive of the historical reality of the birth of the church and the events that came after that. But it's also prescriptive. It helps us to understand certain theology and doctrine. It helps us to understand uh, the, the movement of the church. It helps us to know and understand the mission of the church and, and that that mission that started 2,000 years ago isn't going to be complete until the return of Christ. The book of Acts actually ends very abruptly. It doesn't close out like any other letter does. In fact, let me just take a minute and share with you how the book of Acts ends. We just heard how it begins, and this is how it ends. If you want to turn with me, you can. Look at Acts chapter 28, verse 30. The focus is on now the Apostle Paul and his ministry, and this is how Luke acts, Luke ends acts. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming boldly the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Your translation might say, and he did so unhindered. That's how the book of Acts ends. And why does it end so abruptly? Because the book of Acts hasn't ended. It's still going on through you and me, the church. The ministry and the message of Jesus Christ continues through his Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses, you and me, the church. What do we know about the book of Acts? We know that it was divinely inspired by God. The human author that God used to write Acts was Luke. What do we know about Luke? Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke was really Luke's first volume. His second volume was Acts, and they are an ongoing, continued story of the life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, the birth of the church, and the ongoing ministry and message of Jesus through the church that even continues today until the Lord returns. Luke, the writer of Acts, was a doctor. He was a prolific writer. Many believe he may have been a wealthy person, but certainly a well-educated individual. He was a colleague or ministry partner of the Apostle Paul. It's likely he was from Antioch, the place where 
followers of Jesus were first called Christians. We learned about them in our study on the book of Galatians. Though Luke was a follower of Jesus, he was not an apostle. He was not an apostle. He certainly was, though, divinely inspired to write the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. If we look at very at the very first verse, it says this, In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. It's kind of an odd way of just jumping right in uh, to another writing to a person named Theophilus. Who is this? Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 1 real quick. In Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it really is the beginning of the book of Acts, and I think this is our true starting point. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Who is Theophilus? Well, you could kind of say we don't really know, but we can make some conclusions. Theophilus actually means loved by God and can be understood as a friend of God. Theophilus was likely a wealthy individual, a Roman citizen, possibly a dignitary who lived in Antioch. It was common for dignitaries who were wealthy to hire well-educated people to write accurate historical accounts of things that were happening in the world. It's believed that Theophilus is a Christian, if not a Christian, certainly interested in knowing about Jesus. He hired Luke to write the Gospel of Luke and also the second volume called the book of Acts. What's interesting is we can ask the question, why did Luke write this for him and for us? And this is why. I've decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught so that you can be certain about the truth of everything you were taught about what? About who? About the person of Jesus Christ. Luke gives us a historical document that has practical ministry purposes in both the gospel and the book of Acts that help us understand that the life, ministry, death, and resurrection, ascension of Jesus are not just teachings in the whim, but they're actually historical, verifiable, factual, evidential reality 
that we can believe in. That's called objective truth based on verifiable facts. And that's important for all of us as Christians. We should be very encouraged by that. Interesting enough, when we consider the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as one volume or two volumes with one continued story, this is how we should break them out in a timeline. And this is important for us to know so we can understand correctly the book of Acts. Luke's account of Jesus in his gospel is from his birth through his life and ministry to his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. That's what the gospel of Luke covers in the life and ministry of Jesus. The book of Acts, however, it begins from the point of Jesus' ascension into heaven and it continues the message and ministry of Jesus Christ on earth, not in physical form, but through his church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, you and me as followers of Jesus, Christians. The message and ministry of Jesus literally continues through you and me by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us. We are the visible representation of Jesus in the world. When the Bible says we are the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, the world experiences Jesus now quite literally through you and through me as his followers. Do you understand now why it's so important to be a Christian in order to be a part of the body of Christ? If you're not indwelt by the Spirit of God, then you're not in the church. That sounds exclusive because it is. But here's the good news. There's room for you. And we want you in the body of Christ. But you're not a part of the body until the Spirit of God dwells in you. And you don't become a functioning part of the body until the Spirit of God uses you. And so the book of Acts helps us to see the significance of the presence and the power of the Spirit in every follower of Jesus Christ. And how we are the chosen ones to go into the world and to, to, to change the world through the message of the gospel, through the person of Jesus Christ. So in my first book, The Gospel of Luke, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. First point this morning is simply this. We're going to take a look at what the ministry of Jesus is all about. What did Jesus begin to do and teach in his earthly ministry while he was on earth? Well, the ministry of doing of Jesus was a ministry of miracles, signs, and wonders, demonstrating his authority over what? Over creation? over all of humanity, and over the spiritual world. When did Jesus' ministry begin? After he was baptized. And after he was baptized, what do we read? 
that the moment he came out of the water, the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. It was then that Jesus, in his humanity, was equipped with the power of the Spirit to fulfill all that God had in store for him to do. The work of redemption. The work of saving you and me from the forgiveness of our sin. See, Jesus used his authority and he healed the sick. He forgave sins. He calmed the storms. He cast out demons. He made the lame to walk and the blind to see. He lived perfectly in accordance with the law of God, thus fulfilling the requirements of the law and became the perfect once and for all sacrifice for the sins of the world. Before Jesus breathed his last breath. He was hanging on the cross. Do you remember what he said? It is finished. What is finished? The work of redemption is finished. Jesus' work that he was sent to the earth to do for your forgiveness and mine was finished on the cross when he breathed his last breath and he died the death that we deserve to die. The work that God sent for his father, for him to do here on earth, was completed upon his death. But when did you and I have access to life? Through his resurrection. See, the uniqueness of Jesus is not that he died. The uniqueness of Jesus is that he's alive, that he rose from the dead three days later, just like the scriptures told us. The ministry of Jesus and what he did was to accomplish the work that God set out for him to do on your behalf and mine. We're also told that Jesus taught What did he teach? He was teaching that the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah were fulfilled in him. That he was the long-awaited Messiah. He was the Savior of the world. That he brought, he came to bring salvation and life and freedom to all who would believe in him. Jesus came and he taught the values and the principles of the kingdom of God. That's why we went through the Sermon on the Mount. We could establish a platform and an understanding of what does it mean to live the kingdom life. And now we recognize that the ministry of Jesus, it continues. But it doesn't continue through his physical presence here on earth the ministry of Jesus that he began and finished as a result of his work on the cross continues because what he finished now is the message that we send to the world. Jesus died for your sins and you can have life in him. And that ministry and that message continues through you and me, the church. That's what the church is all about in the ministry of Jesus and how it continues today. Then we have the message of Jesus. Let's look at verse 3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about 
the kingdom of God. The message of Jesus is clear. The kingdom of God is not only what I come to teach and proclaim and represent, but that now the kingdom of God is truly to be the rule and reign of Christ in your life and over your hearts. And that happens when the spirit of the living God is living in us and actively living through us. How long did Jesus teach for? He taught his apostles for 40 days. Imagine that Bible study. I mean, all the things that Jesus taught for the three years with his apostles and disciples, he's now teaching another message for 40 more days, saying, now this, I'm going to leave you, and this is the message I want you to go into the world and proclaim for 40 days. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to more than 500 people. And he talked to them about his life, death, and resurrection and how he came alive three days after he was dead, according to Scripture. He proved to others that he was alive so that the viability and reliability of the resurrection could become a reality. It's the message we proclaim. Jesus came to bring salvation to all of us. And here's the reality. Christianity rises and falls on the basis, not of his death, but on the basis of his resurrection. Salvation is found in no one else but the person of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message that Jesus was proclaiming. Jesus came to give life. He gave, came to live the life that you could not live. He died the death that you and I deserve to die so that we could gain a righteousness we could never gain on our own. That truly is the message of the gospel. Having the right message is critical to effective evangelism. We're now God's messengers, empowered and equipped to bring the message of the gospel to the world. How do you hold the authority of Scripture? Is it true and truth? Is it authoritative in your life? I hope so. I read a quote recently online and it said, and I think it's accurate, it said, if you're not confident in the authority of the Scriptures, you will be a slave to what sounds right. Isn't that true today? It's always been true, I think. But it's certainly true today. If we don't hold the, the word of God as authoritative in our life, then, then what we're going to hold to as true is what sounds right to us. And I think the last couple of years has proven that there's a lot of deception in what sounds right to us. So we need to understand the ministry of Jesus. That it didn't end when he ascended to heaven, but it continues through you and me, the church. We need to understand the message of Jesus, and it's all about the kingdom of God and, and, and bringing kingdom of heaven to earth. That happens through you and me as we proclaim the right message and live the ministry of Christ here on earth. But there's also something else that Jesus promised, and that was the Holy Spirit. 
in verses 4 and 5. Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptizes with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, God never intended to send his people into the world powerless. He wanted to equip them and to to give them all the power that they needed to proclaim the message and to live the kingdom so that people could see the value and the transformation that Jesus brings to our lives. In fact, he said, unless I go from you, I cannot send the power to you. The disciples didn't have a clue what he meant by that. But what he meant was, if I stay here with you, you'll never gain access to the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you don't have the power of God in you to do the things that God has for you to do in fulfilling the mission of God. He told them to to, to stay put and to wait for what the promise or the Father had promised to them. That is so critical. Because after 40 days, Jesus ascended to heaven and he's now at the right hand of the Father. But it was only a few days later that the promise was fulfilled at a time we know as Pentecost. And it was then that the Spirit was given to the believers to indwell them permanently and to empower and equip them for the ministry of Jesus on earth. See, the ministry of Jesus, both doing and teaching, it continues until he returns through his spirit-empowered witnesses. That's you, and that's me. And what does this look like? It's visible through our character, through our conduct, and also through our message. I want you to think of when you became a Christian. What difference did it make? You might not be a good preacher or teacher. I might not either, but that doesn't matter. We all have a testimony of the life transformation and change that Jesus made in my life. And I can at least share that, and so can you. Think of the word integrity. The world needs to see people who can live with integrity, and that means what I say I'll do. What I do is in alignment with what I say. See how our character and our conduct and our message have to come into alignment? How about honesty? The world could use a lot more honest people. How about kindness? When you're kind and people see your kindness, they're attracted to that and they wonder, what's different about you? How about your generosity? If you have the means to be generous, are you living generously so that what others see in you and through you, they realize there's something different about you? If you don't have the means to be generous, are you still being generous? Because you can. Jesus brings about a life change and transformation. How about the spirit of forgiveness? Family, friends, coworkers, are we forgiving one another? Are we truly loving others? 
Not those who love us, but loving those who don't deserve to be loved. Remember, love is the sacrificial giving of oneself for the sake of another. Love is about the other. Love is what we give, not what we get. Love is what we do. Matthew chapter 5, I want to put your attention there just for a moment. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives this assignment to us, the church. He says in verse 14, chapter 5, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds or let your light shine, your good deeds shine out for the whole world to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Even people who don't belong to Jesus can do good deeds. But the good deeds of those who do belong to Jesus are not for our credit or our benefit. They're for the benefit of the other and to glorify our Father who is in heaven. So that when others see the good deeds that we do, they're not drawn to us per se, they're drawn to him. Because what they see is not us, they see him. This is how the ministry and the message of Jesus continues on earth through you and me, the church. Through the character, the conduct, and the message of our lives. I can't overstate or overemphasize the significance of us truly understanding as we go through the book of Acts how important it is for us to realize that the message and ministry and the work of Jesus Christ, the work of redemption is complete on the cross, but the work of getting the message out that the, the, the work is complete is not done. That's what we're called to do. A lifelong mission until the Lord returns that gives us significance and purpose and meaning in this life. You can try to make life significant in so many ways, but there'll, nothing, there'll be nothing more significant than for you to belong to the family of God and to join in on the work of the mission of God and helping the lost be found so that together the family of God can grow. That's the good news. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for the encouragement this morning that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're part of a family, we're part of a body, we're part of the church. We're the bride. We're empowered and equipped to do the work and the ministry of the gospel. Not on our own, but through Jesus in us. Help us, God, as the church, to align our character and our conduct and our message with your word, which is true. Help us to realize what we're called to, a life on mission, a life of significance. In Christ's name, amen.